I'm looking for similarities in the way troublemakers think. This is Steve St. Clair, co-founder of Trouble Group. Join us as we learn from others who are shaking things up. Today, Chief Strategist Michelle Hart-Henry brings us another troublemaker. We're here today with Dr. Brian Scow. Dr. Scow currently serves as the Avera eCare Chief Medical Officer. As the Chief Medical Officer of Avera eCare, he oversees telehealth services to more than 500 facilities across 32 states and so far has affected over 2 million patients since their inception. Dr. Scal provides direction to multiple telehealth service lines, including ICU, pharmacy, hospitalist, senior care, school nursing, virtual consults, Avera direct-to-consumer services through Avera Now, prison health, specialty clinic health, Indian health services, behavioral health, and emergency medical services. That's an awful lot. Dr. Scow, welcome to Troublemakers. Yeah, thank you, Michelle, for this opportunity just to share the e-care story. Well, I'm just amazed as I read through that list of all of the things that you oversee and are responsible for. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this and what your role really means. What drew me into this really was we, we found a need. Uh, we found a problem and we innovated to it. So approximately 10 years ago, uh, we established our emergency program, and that's my background. So I am uh, definitely partial to that. And, and what we saw is we're, we're in our level one trauma center and you know we're receiving trauma patients strokes, uh, MIs, and we, we had a discussion. We were like, wouldn't it be nice to see these patients before they arrive? And we could use our emergency medicine skills. We could assist these rural facilities in managing these critical patients because they are, they're practicing in isolation. Some of them are, have limited uh, resources. For example, uh, when we run a trauma team, we have so many people in the room, so many specialists that we have to draw a line on the floor and say, don't go past this line. We've got too many people. In a rural facility, you know, especially at 3 a.m., you're lucky to have one nurse, uh, one provider that could be an APP or a family practice physician. And this is what we identified. And what we were able to do, we started uh, really just in our own footprint. Uh, we have 30 uh, critical access hospitals in a three to four state area. So that's where we started. And it really took off from there when we were able to provide that extra level of support, augment the quality of care that they provided, and really tailor our services to what the rural hospitals needed. So that's that's where it started. And what's interesting about that is most people nowadays, when we think about telehealth or we think about telemedicine, it's in the context of, okay, COVID-19 restricted my ability to go see my primary care or go to my normal doctor's office. So now I'm going to do it virtually over video or telephone or using any of the other platforms or services. But Avera, the parent company, really understood that in order to enable access to care in these rural and critical areas, they were going to have to do something different. So this is more, I don't want to call it base telemedicine, but essentially it's enabling access for a lot more people. Am I right in that description? Absolutely. What we wanted to do was give access no matter the location of the patient. So that could be a patient at home. It could be a patient in the emergency department, a patient that's on the floor in the hospital, 
a patient in the ICU, providing behavioral health consults to patients at home. For example, we have a farmer's hotline where we can help them essentially with the different types of stressors they're having in this environment. A specialty clinic where you can beam in different specialists to clinic. Indian Health Services, where we're on the reservation, provided much needed care. A school health, where we have school nursing programs. And then, as you mentioned, the direct-to-consumer program. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, especially when, when COVID hit, uh, we began preparation quite early. And then our clinics closed. So essentially overnight, we had to uh, stand up our direct-to-consumer program for our clinics. On average, our clinics are doing maybe 10 visits a day. That jumped to a thousand. So a 10,000% increase just within about a week. So it really tells you what type of a force multiplier telehealth can be in that environment. That's incredible. But it also goes back to or relates back to one of the early stories you told me about how telehealth even got stood up. You told me about the first patient. Tell us a little bit about that. So we've been in the, the telehealth space for going on 27 years now with over uh, 2 million uh, impacted patients. And the first consult that we had was a cancer patient. It was, in fact, a judge that was uh, in a location that was quite rural. And one of the oncologists uh, needed to see him. And uh, we weren't able to uh, have him drive to the facility, which you know, in rural facilities, you know, it can be a two to three hour drive to get to see the specialist. So they were able to do a full evaluation over the camera. And as you can imagine, the technology was quite a bit different 27 years ago than it is today. But it really made a difference in caring for this cancer patient. And from that has grown this just tremendous organization. You mentioned before in our last conversation about the number of employees who support the efforts uh, to provide all of this care. Yeah, so I can kind of paint you a picture. So we're located in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is still, you know, considered somewhat rural. I like to call it the, the Silicon Valley of South Dakota, but we're located in a technology district. And uh, within this facility, we have a virtual hospital. We have the virtual hospital and then an administrative side of the building, in addition to an educational center. Uh, we have approximately 300 dedicated employees just to telehealth. But inside the virtual hospital, uh, there's really a feeling of collaboration uh, because 24-7 inside the building we'll have emergency medicine physicians, internal medicine hospitalists, critical care physicians, a team of pharmacists, a psychiatrist, geriatricians uh, that are providing care to long-term care patients. And it's that collaboration uh, that really makes a difference. I can be seeing uh, a patient over e-emergency. Uh, maybe I have a question on ventilator. I can walk a few steps over to the ICU area, run it by one of our critical care physicians. If I have a suicidal patient and I have a question maybe on medications, I can pull in a pharmacist or just walk down the hallway and ask our psychiatrist who's in the building. That's really what makes Avera eCare somewhat unique in the marketplace is our virtual hospital and the number of specialties that we have here 24-7. So everything is there except the patient physically. The patient is often obviously somewhere else, but you've got that ability and quite frankly, that luxury of having those consults and having that collaboration with the other physicians and, and necessary services. What are the biggest challenges that you see in delivering care in this manner? You know, a few of the barriers, one of the biggest barriers is cost of services. And uh, fortunately, uh, especially with COVID, uh, there's been different acts that have been passed. For example, the CARES Act, which provides additional funding uh, for rural hospitals to afford 
the program, essentially. Uh, number two uh, would be IT infrastructure, making sure they have the right broadband capacity, especially in you know, Indian health areas. We see on the reservation uh, that, you know, the Wi-Fi, uh, the LTE capacity is somewhat limited, and there's multiple different grant programs for them. So cost, IT, and then also, you know, the bedside providers. Um, many rural hospitals are, are limited in uh, the recruitment, the retention of bedside providers. And we can also help out with that by supporting them through telemedicine. How have the patients responded to Avera eCare and to the expansion of services over the years? We find that, that the patients are very receptive and it's really independent of the age. I mean, you know, I just had a, a six-year-old patient that we saw uh, with appendicitis who was waving at me over the camera. Typically, uh, the parents are also very engaged and, you know, even the elderly population. We really make it easy for the site with our easy button and we're just pulled up on a screen. So that piece, ease of use, is really key. But over the years, we found that patients have been quite receptive to telemedicine care. I knew that my first encounter with telemedicine in the way that you all do it was sitting in a hospital room very late at night when suddenly I heard sort of the whir and the click of a a camera and looked up and the camera was moving about the room and a voice came across and introduced himself and explained to me that he was doing remote monitoring from another location. But we were able to have a great conversation and I felt very comfortable about the care being provided in that manner. I'm sure you have similar kinds of stories. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have what we call our our notable stories where, you know, you just make so much of a difference when you can assist bedside providers when you're taking care of critical care patients. And it's kind of fun when the when the patients, uh, you know, after the visit, after they recovered. We've had patients that will actually visit our, our e-hub, patients that have even drove you know, 10, 12 hours uh, to come visit us just to see the facility and really meet the physicians that have taken care of you uh, over the camera. And, and that makes a difference. That's amazing. You know, you, you mentioned just a few minutes ago that what you called the easy button. I think that that is one of the things that fascinates me is the way that you all are so accessible and you make it so easy for these hospitals. Explain to me what you meant by, you know, the easy button and, and how you all are set up, especially on the emergency care side. Yeah, what we found early on is ease of use is one of the biggest things as far as barriers when you uh, come in with connectivity with IT. When we can control essentially all the connectivity, it makes it really smooth for the end user to use our services. So again, to paint you a picture, imagine that you're in a small critical access hospital, a three-room emergency department, and there'll be an e-emergency button on the wall. So with the push of a button in about 15 seconds, uh, you'll see the faces of an emergency medicine physician and a critical care nurse. At that point is when the collaboration starts. We provide peer-to-peer support, meaning, you know, when those critical patients come in, we can assist with the care and really augment the quality care that they're already providing. Our nursing staff will help document the encounter, which is a big piece uh, when you're resource limited. So our nurses will document either in the EMR or uh, through one of our spreadsheets. And what that allows the bedside nurses to do is do what they do best, take care of patients. We can uh, zoom in with our cameras and even look at an IV and see, oh, that's a green colored IV, that's an 18 gauge catheter, and they'll document those things. One of the things that we take a great, great amount of pride in and what we enjoy the most is assisting with airway procedures. You know, we talk about ABCs in critical care. Well, A comes first and that's the airway. And what we can do with our technology, uh, there's cameras that are connected to intubating devices 
called glide scopes. So when they're in there intubating a patient, we can actually peer inside the airway, see the vocal cords, see the anatomy, see if there's secretions, and assist uh, with the intubation as far as guidance. Where the eyes and ears, the bedside provider are the hands. And in these cases, we're actually proving through research that we're saving lives by improving the first pass success rate of that intubation. So not only are we there assisting with the airway, but we also help to train these providers. We all offer a difficult airway course and we are the instructors uh, here in Sioux Falls, and we get about 80 to 100 attendees every year. We've had it over the last six years. Uh, so we'll also train them in these difficult airways, uh, how to use the devices. And it's pretty remarkable when you see some of these uh, APPs, uh, they're out there doing the intubation after the difficult airway course and just their level of confidence. That's something that that's really sets us apart is our intubation program that we have. And it's in over 200 uh, facilities across 16 states. And we've had some pretty remarkable cases. Um, you know, one comes to mind, we had a, a patient um, that was out walking uh, in the Badlands and unfortunately stumbled across the den of rattlesnakes, uh, was bitten multiple times, uh, came in, we called our helicopter to pick them up immediately, but they got to the critical access hospital and they were in shock. Uh, so we were able to give them the antidote, anti-venom, and unfortunately had a bad allergic reaction uh, where the entire family face swelled up, the tongue swelled out of the mouth, and we looked with our intubating device and couldn't see the cords. So we actually had a handheld camera at this facility that was attached to our system. So through this handheld camera, we were able to walk them through a life-saving procedure called a crike. It's where you make an incision in the neck and place a tube into the neck. That patient was stabilized, was flown to the trauma center. Uh, she was in the ICU uh, for a week, but made a complete recovery. And it was pretty remarkable to have her visit, uh, go back to the site and let her share her story on how telemedicine made a difference. I can't imagine what the outcome would have been without telemedicine and without the interventions that you all were able to do. What I think is remarkable about the services that you provide. When you talk about critical access hospitals, there are many of us who aren't in rural areas or maybe aren't in those areas that don't have the big health systems or the big medical systems. But I think on some level, you all are evening the playing field, if you will. In other words, just because you're living in an area that's more rural doesn't mean you don't have access to tremendous care. You've got a great point there. One of the things that we want to make sure we're providing is the highest level of quality care. So when you walk into that rural hospital, we want the care to be no different than you would get in a larger urban center. And the way that we do that is providing access to not only emergency medicine physicians, but also much needed specialists. For example, when you come in with uh, stroke-like symptoms, we can beam in a stroke neurologist to the bedside uh, to evaluate you in addition to determine, does this patient meet requirements for that clot buster? Or is it something where we need to fly you for an intervention? I can beam in a burn surgeon to the bedside to evaluate your burn. Is it something that can be managed on an outpatient basis, or do you need to be transferred to a burn center? For suicidal patients, we can beam in a psychiatrist. So just giving that level of access to smaller hospitals that might not normally have those types of specialists in their community is just something that we've seen over the years is probably the biggest need in rural communities. Dr. Scal, this must be immensely satisfying work for you. From where you are now, 
What would you tell your younger self? My younger self? Well, let me look back. Probably I'd go back to maybe medical school. Now, this was a while ago, probably 1995, if I got my dates right. ER was the number one show on TV. Everybody wanted to be George Clooney, right, back then. Our class was uh, in a rural community uh, medical school. One-fifth of our class went into emergency medicine that year. One of the things that, that I probably would have focused on or what I would have told myself back then was really understand the benefits of telemedicine. How can it transform healthcare? How is it a force multiplier, especially in this new environment that we're seeing with COVID? I would make myself embrace change a little bit more because you definitely have to do that when you implement telemedicine. How can telemedicine deliver this high level of compassionate quality care over the camera? And most importantly, how can it impact the lives, not only of patients, but also the providers that deliver that care? That's amazing. And I'm, I'm sure that for all of the providers involved with Avera eCare, there has to be that sense of satisfaction at the end of the day of a job well done. Where do you see the organization going? What's next? We're going to continue to define the need of facilities to try to innovate to their needs, to tailor our services also to their needs. And a lot of times what we can do, for example, when we're on that e-emergency call, we get to see the environment that they're practicing in. What are some of their strengths? What are areas potentially of weaknesses? For example, we did innovate in a facility that would normally transfer us sexual assault examinations. And we asked them, would it benefit you to keep those patients local, keep them in your facility, and be able to discharge them home rather than transferring them three hours to a facility that can provide that service? And the answer was absolutely yes. And that's where some of our programs grow from, is being able to observe them in their environment and define what some of their needs are. So I see us continuing to grow. I mean, ideally, I would like to have our services in majority of of rural hospitals across the nation. And really giving that access and providing and augmenting the quality of care that they're already providing is where I see ourselves going. Amazing. So innovation, compassion, high quality care. It's a combination that I don't think can be beat no matter whether it's delivered physically or via telemedicine. You know, Dr. Scout, our whole world has been focused on COVID-19, obviously, and you mentioned that you've had an exponential growth in telemedicine visits as a result of COVID. Tell me a little bit about how you've been able to care for patients with COVID. I do have a great example of a patient uh, that we took care of with COVID. Um, Essentially, from the time uh, she hit our doorstep, the time of discharge, So this is Dolores' story. She's a 63-year-old female that was traveling from Florida back to the Sioux Falls area. She was actually coming from a hot spot. She arrived back in Sioux Falls, unfortunately, during an ice storm. Just after leaving the airport, she unfortunately slipped and fell and fractured her hip. She underwent hip surgery, didn't identify her as a COVID patient at that point, but was discharged to a rural nursing home. Within the rural nursing home, we were alerted at 3 a.m. One of our geriatricians was able to see her recovering from her hip fracture in the nursing home. At that point, she had spiked a fever of 102, had a cough, 
was short of breath. The geriatrician identified her as a very COVID suspicious patient. We were able to transfer her to a rural critical access hospital, again, an emergency department that had our services. She was on her second camera visit. At that point, unfortunately, she was decompensating quickly. We were able to assist the local providers uh, with our intubation team. The patient was intubated, stabilized, and flown to an intensive care unit at a regional facility. This was her third camera interaction. She was seen by one of our critical care physicians over our EICU platform. They were able to adjust her vent settings based on the the most evidence-based medicine, the ARDS protocols. She was intubated for greater than 10 days, but remarkably made a recovery. She was transferred to the floor where she was seen by our e-hospitalist program. Her fourth camera interaction at that point, stabilized on the floor and transferred to home. Through our direct-to-consumer program, our family practice physicians were able to keep a very close eye on her, checking in on her daily through our tablet-based visits with peripherals so the family practice physicians could listen to her heart, get a pulse ox, determine that she was recovering. And I can tell you, Dolores is doing great today. This really highlights the impact of telemedicine and management of COVID patients. And this example is from the nursing home all the way to discharge back home. Goodness gracious. Well, Dolores is certainly one very lucky person. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you today and to learn from you. And I'm going to be excited to see where you continue to grow and innovate. Absolutely. Thank you, Michelle, for letting us share our stories. To learn more about the telemedicine services and the depth and breadth of offerings that we've discussed today with Dr. Scow, visit their website, www.averaecare.org. This has been a Trouble Group podcast. Learn more about us at troublegroup.com. If you're a troublemaker and want to be on the podcast, email steve at troublegroup.com. Thank you.